Hey, this is Clay Harrison from Embrace. Embrace is a new church in the greater Houghton area of Louisiana, and on this podcast, you'll hear from various voices with the common thread of helping people point their lives to Jesus. On this episode, Matt Shaw joins me for a conversation that dives into some questions asked at Embrace. The question is, is Jesus God? So I hope our conversation is helpful for you and that you can center yourself on Jesus. Thanks for joining us, and here we go. All right, so I'm Clay Harrison. This is I'm Matt Shaw. Matt Shaw, all right, and this is uh, the first time, first tryout for Embrace doing a Zoom video. We're going to see how this goes. Uh, what we want to talk about today, though, is especially uh, a fun question, and it's a question that Amberly brought up. And so it dives into a lot of questions that I've seen um, in my own life. Is a question, honestly, that that wasn't answered in my life until much, much later. Um, I don't feel like I ever really had a church give me the resources for this question. Uh, so, um, I think a lot of, a lot of times before I read read the question, yeah, a lot of times people just don't mess with it. You know, they just, they, they kind of just assume that people know. And I think even, you know, I can remember being, you know, in that early stages and just being like, I guess I'd never even thought about this. So I'm yeah. glad that that was brought up and I'm glad that we can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the question. And, and um, I'm sure we've all have asked this question to some extent. So how would you explain to someone who asks, do you have to believe in both God and Jesus? Can you believe in one without the other? Uh, if someone says, Hey, uh, do you believe in Jesus and God? So, you know, it's tricky. You know, what is the, what is the, you know, the relationship there. We say Jesus, we say God, we, sometimes we say Holy Spirit, but it gets really, really, really confusing. Yeah, I think I think it can be confusing. I think a lot of times um, the biggest confusion is just a lack of conversation. I think um, scripture does kind of help us um, understand a little bit. Um, I think that thankfully we'll be able to kind of go through that a little bit today um, and discuss it, but yeah. Yeah, it it is one of those pieces where um, scripture is you know it may speak towards these pieces but i don't know that it's necessarily on face value easy to understand and reality it is is if we're reading the scripture and we don't have a lot of resources with us and if our churches aren't really helping us dive into this then it's really confusing well even looking at some scripture today with with you and in saying okay well i see where they're coming from saying this but i can see how also you could see it from a different angle and uh and you can kind of you know go from there so i'm glad that we were able to kind of personally dig into it and kind of get some answers for ourselves yeah well let me just tell you a little bit about my experience with this question so i i was uh not really raised in the church i went to church from time to time we were more uh seasonal church goers uh, we weren't involved in church a lot. I wasn't really involved in much stuff growing up with youth and things like that. Very sparse uh, religious experience. So, I mean, I knew the name of Jesus. My mom taught me to pray, but I didn't really know anything about Jesus. I didn't know the stories. Um, I had never really read the Bible. I do have a precious moment Bible though. And I saw so, that. Yeah. So that I, in fact. When I got to college and I began to experience Jesus for the first time uh, at, the, at Louisiana Tech's Wesley Foundation, I started bringing my Bible. And the only Bible I had to bring was my <laughs> Precious Moments Bible. I'm just saying. I bet that, so, lo- that led to some conversations. <laughs> it, I chugged that little baby blue Bible around with me everywhere. It was my favorite Bible. And so it's still sitting on my shelf today. But I, uh, you know, I experienced Jesus. But really, I was confused for a long time. 
as a, as a Christian, as a baby Christian for sure. But as I was developing, it was years before I understood um, what, what, what this conversation is about. When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the Father, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there was just stuff that I just didn't think about. I just kind of just took it on. Um, I, I, I don't know. I guess faith maybe is the right word. I just took it on people's word. I was like, okay, I guess it's just something I don't need to worry about. Uh, when I would ask questions, uh, when I was, uh, you know, at the Wesley Foundation and first starting churches and stuff, it wasn't a question that people were willing to talk about or answer. I never felt like I had sufficient answers. The more people talked about it, the more confused I got. And so it was probably within the last uh, several years and, and really from more of my understanding, it took me becoming a Bible scholar and really understanding the scope of the Bible and things like that, that helped me understand uh, what, who Jesus is and what his claim is. And it, it, honestly, it's really powerful, but no one seemed to be equipped enough to answer that question for me. So that's a little bit about my experience. I'm excited to dive into it. What's been your experience? Well, my ex yeah, for me, you know, I, I didn't grow up um, in the church. So for me, you know, I kind of experienced it as I went and, and I can say, you know, working at camp for, you know, as long as I did, um, this, these are questions that come up all the time, you know, because people just really aren't discussing it. And even people that have been, you know, in church their entire lives still have not had these questions, you know, and I can't tell you, you know, all these, and I know that, well, you know, we have limited time, so we focus on one today, but like, even like, where, how do we pick the books of the Bible? How is that done? You know, there's a process to that. And I remember as crazy as it is in college, I was taking classes about these things. I'm like, why have I not even, you know, thought about this? Why have I not dug, you know, gotten deeper into these things? So for me, you know, it's just a matter of taking a step back and saying, Hey, you know, let, let's figure this out. So I haven't, you know, a real foundation. It's just all about foundation building for me, you know? So um, I'm glad that we're, we're having these discussions for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Matt has had a lot of experience working with uh, various aged youth and young adults in camp ministry. So I'm excited. We've, we've not had this conversation with one another. So I'm excited to hear kind of the way that you approach this with people and then to share the way I approach it. So uh, Matt, how, what are ways in which you would, uh, would approach this, um, for someone on their journey? How, how would, how would you approach this with somebody? Well, I'm, I'm very much of a, of a scripture guy, you know, and, and I'm not necessarily a guy that is, it's, I'm not like Clay. Think, you know, Clay and I are different. <laughs> we have so many different qualities and so many different things that we do, but I'm a guy that says, okay, you have this question. I, even if I think I know the answer, I want to go and, and do some research. And that's the first thing I did, um, you know, was some research with, uh, today was I said, okay, well, let me look it up. You know, John has talks a lot about it. And, you know, for me personally, I just want to dive into to what scripture is saying. And, you know, I know that there are different people out there in different denominations, different religions that, that have different perspectives on this. Why do they come to those perspectives? Why do they think those things? Hey, Sharon, uh, Sharon just got on the podcast. That's my wife. And uh, so anyway, so yeah, so that, you know, for me personally, I just want to dig into scripture and that's what I would do. Um, and that's why I encourage the counselors that are at the camp to do, but let's be honest, counselors are asking these questions too, you know, college students that haven't um, gone through this and, and, and don't know these answers as well. And, and adults in the same regard are doing this. So being able, in my opinion, being able to answer these questions has to start and has to finish with scripture, studying okay. scripture, finding it in scripture. Um, and not only reading the scripture, but sometimes you have to read a few different commentaries to kind of really dive into that scripture and really pull out what, you know, God is speaking to you because people are hearing it different. You can look at a commentary that's written by one perspective and another one that's written by another one. Commentary is just people interpreting the Bible in the way that they, you know, do that. So for me, it's just bringing scripture out. 
um, and, and getting all the perspectives you can and really kind of developing what you feel like God is speaking to you. Okay. So, uh, someone, someone comes to you just like, um, this question does and says, Hey, how do we, how do we deal with this? Uh, do we believe in Jesus and God? Do we, you know, how do we, you know, that really we're talking about the Trinity here, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, um, you know, how do we address that? How do we walk that line? So uh, where do you go? Where do you, where, where's your step in this? Um, what scripture do you go to? How would, how, how do you, how do you take that step with somebody? Well, and like I said, I think John talks about it quite a bit and I, and you know, he talks about being, um, Jesus said, um, very truly, I tell you, and John, let me make sure I'm using context so y'all can see it as well. John 8 um, says, Jesus um, said to them, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham I um, was, I am. Um, so that was just a prophecy of him coming to the world um, can, prior can to him being can you give Can you give us that verse, please? John yes, it's 8. John 8, uh, 58. And I highly recommend don't just take a piece of scripture and throw it out there. Do the research, um, look before, look after, get the context of the scripture. Um, since we have limited time, that so we're, we're kind of kind of have to yeah. you know wash over that a little bit. Right. Um, yeah. So, so here he's saying, "I am." Yep. And then in John ten, he says, uh, "John ten twenty nine and thirty, he says, "What my Father has given to me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand." the father and I are one. Um, and you know, Clay and I were kind of discussing this a little bit prior to the podcast, just saying, or prior to this video, just saying, well, what is he saying there? Like, what does that mean? What, what is the context to that? Because for me, you know, we are one with God. So we can say the father and, and I are one, we are one with him. Therefore, what is Jesus saying in that? Is he saying that he is just one with God or is he saying he is God? Um, and I think that, you know, you can kind of look at that in a different way. Um, but for me personally, um, I believe, you know, the Trinity is one God, um, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit are one. Jesus came to the earth as God ascended into heaven. Holy spirit became a part of this as well. So yes. And then there's more, but I'll let you kind of dive into it a little bit. Yeah, that's really good. But don't um, let me ask you this. Don't some, there are some denominations that believe that these are separate entities, right? So here's the reality. This is a, a, a very important topic, but it's also can be a very confusing topic. Because yeah. what we're dealing with is we're not just dealing with scripture. We are dealing with scripture, but that's read in context. And when we read scripture and interpret it, we're no different from everyone else who's been doing this throughout the centuries, right? So uh, people have different types of experiences and resources as they approach the Bible throughout the ages. So that means that when they start reading and trying to make sense of this, that, that over time people are coming to different conclusions. Yeah. And yes, there are those who would even claim to be within the Christian sect that would, that have a hard time distinguishing, you know, what do we do with this? And so what we, what we um, understand today, and this is kind of falls in what we might, we call Orthodox Christianity. And I'm not talking about the Greek or Greek Orthodox tradition or any other Orthodox. I'm talking about what is it that Christianity believes? Cause uh, those of us who are Christian, there's a lot of different branches of Christianity. And so uh, how can is, how is it that we can have all these different branches of Christianity? What holds us together? So kind of the core belief of, of Christianity would hold that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, mm -hmm. and um, and so we can go to our creeds. And if you're not don't, if you're not familiar with creeds, we can talk about some creeds later on. 
but uh, but there are those who have struggled with making and you know un- making an understanding of God being one, but being talked about in these three different ways, and so they do come to very different conclusions. Um, and so some of those would be out; they may would consider themselves Christian, but we might would see them outside of the realm of Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. And um, and and I don't, I don't. There's no need to kind of name those people. Right. Talk about that right now. Uh, but what we do find is that that this is a real um, point of of discernment and interest to people. They want to figure this out. And uh, when we talk about later on another. Uh, in another recording, how uh, the Bible was put together and things like that, what we'll find is over time, people are really struggling with this. And then you have the early church, kind of a large section of the early church that's kind of split on this. Yeah. You know, some of them don't, you know, they, they don't see uh, Jesus as fully human and fully God. And, um, and so they, they really struggle with that. So we have these whole councils that get together and say, no, this is where we are as Christian and outside of Christianity. That's, you know, if you believe that you're outside of the, outside of the balance per se. So those are definitely conversations we get into. And that even leads into um, when, um, when we have the rise of, of Islam as well. And we can talk about the Quran and the way in which it understands Jesus because uh, Muhammad, as he's, uh, as he's writing the Quran, He's in uh, the Arabian Peninsula, and he's dealing with a lot of people who we, who we might would call quote unquote heretics, who have been exiled from their communities, uh, both Jews and Christians. And so, as he's encountering uh, these persons in the Arabian Peninsula, these communities, he's exposed to a lot of of, of what we quote unquote heresy. And so, he is going around, and a lot of the responses we see in the Quran are actually a response to, to saying, I don't think that works that way. Yeah. And uh, that's a, that's a really fun story to tell too. And I'd love to, to dive into that. So yeah, this is a complicated thing. It's not like we're just dealing with this today and we're the only ones. Uh, this has been, uh, this has been an ongoing conversation for others and it's really serious to people's faith. And, and uh, what we want to do is make sure that we're clear with this. So these are really good texts that you brought yourself to. And here's, um, I'm, I want to share some stuff if that's okay. Uh, to help us uh, have a, comp- a deeper conversation here. But one of the things I'd like for, for people to do is to take the book of John, and uh, depending on what version of the Bible you have, uh, go through and find how many uh, statements you can find, like in John eight fifty eight that says, I am. Okay, I'm not going to tell you how many there are. I know how many there are. I'm not going to tell you. I want this. This is a really fun exercise. Go through John. John's a really fun read. And uh, you don't. You, you can just kind of read it pretty quickly. You don't have to read this in depth for this exercise, but it's a fun exercise. Go through and see how many I am statements you can find. And you'll find out by the end of this recording uh, why that's important. So uh, so if you look at 58, uh, 8, Verse eight, uh, chapter eight, verse fifty-eight. The one you read earlier. I assure you, yeah. Jesus replied, "Before Abraham was, I am." So in my Bible, they've actually capitalized "I am," and I've got a CEB Bible. What version do you have? Um, let me see what this one is. This is a NRSV. NRSV. Yeah. Okay. Does your Bible have anything specific when it says "I am," or it, is it just it just it just says "I am"? Yep, it just says okay. "I am." Go through. It's very interesting. So the CEB is picking up on this. Go through and just see how many of the I am statements you can find. This is a really fun exercise. And depending on the 
the Bible translation depends on, it may be a little harder to find. You also could, you know, cheat and get on Google and do an I am Google search, but don't cheat. Go and read it. It's really fun to discover this on your own. Uh, you may find that Google may not be right either. Okay, so uh, what is Jesus saying here? What does he mean by I am? What does he mean that I and the Father are one? So I want to give us a little bit of, 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 of history here. And I want to talk about the big scope of the Bible. I want to talk about, you know, the, the big overarching story, the story of God, the story of us, this, uh, and, and really try to, to capture uh, the scope from Genesis uh, to the end here, okay? And this is going to help us when we think about reading the bigger story of where Jesus fits into this. So um, what I'd like to do is start at the very beginning with Genesis and, um, and, and think about the way in which language is used to describe and visualize the world uh, around us. And it starts with a world of light and a world of darkness, or a world of darkness and then light, correct? Yep. And that's really important. And, and when we approach the scripture and we look at it, uh, this is a totally different conversation for sure. And we're trying to look very scientific from our modern perspective, we'll miss the significance of what's happening. In fact, the themes that we find in Genesis 1 and 2 are, are stretched throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, and they just keep showing up. You can find out what happens. You can see what happens in uh, the beginning with creation in the way in which creation uh, is ordered. You can see that show up almost verbatim in the Exodus event later on. And you have this, create, this new creation with, with the exile and almost an uncreation with the Egyptians. And, and so you see this, this theme going on. And so let's just talk about this light and dark for a moment. Uh, we live in a very different world today in the way in which we understand and see things. And so what I want to do is help us put ourselves in perspective of the original people that would have been writing and reading our earliest books. And this comes at a time um, long ago. This is about 3,000 years ago now uh, in, a, in a Mesopotamian ancient Near Eastern context. Uh, this, is, this comes at a time uh, before Babylon. Um, but this is, this is a, a culture that sees the world very differently than we do today. And the way in which they understood the world uh, 3,000 years ago is also contextually the way in which the world was still seen in the time of Jesus, okay? So uh, what I'm going to show, and I'm going to try to do this on the video here, see if y'all can do, if y'all can see this. So um, I don't know if that's working or not. So I go I'm up gonna a little bit more. Go up a little bit more. That's so right there. I'm going to hold this right here for a second so people can see it. Can yeah, they can see it right there. Yeah, they can see. Okay, it. so uh, the way in which people understood the world was a divided understanding of what we see as reality and what we do not see as a spiritual presence in reality. And the world and the theme of light is the realm of 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 spiritual beings it's the realm of the gods it's uh it's where all the good things are so uh the realm of light represents holiness it re represents divinity um power authority and the world in which we live in is represented by darkness by chaos and and those things don't mix on their own and so the world in which the way in which people perceive the world is uh, is this world of light and darkness. And while we live in the chaotic waters of 
of the world and and the light is bringing order to it to it god is bringing order to our world what we find is uh regardless of what uh religion and what regardless of what um ruleship of the ancient world they have there is this view of light and dark so um our scriptures pick this theme up very importantly in genesis and on forward but the same would be true of the Assyrian Empire or the Egyptian Empire or the Babylonian Empire or any of the other empires that are around in those, in the, in those time periods. The difference is, is where uh, with our creation story, it begins with, with God. And we use that term in English, God. But in Hebrew, those are very, that's a very, God is named. It's not a generic name for, not a generic name of God. So there's some, you know, the language that we deal with today is just it, it adds to the complexity of what we have so the world is seen in this this realm of, of light of of the heavenly um, realm of the, the the spirits and of the gods and the the world we live in is is the place of darkness that needs control and um, if you if you want to go back and look at that video and pause it uh, so where the light um, impacts the darkness is through the mediation of a king. So um, if we look at, um, at the Babylonian Empire, we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and um, he's, he's attacking the, 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 uh, the city of Judah, and he's taking uh, uh, Jerusalem. He's getting ready to, for the conquest. Well, he would have had this, he, everybody in, in the Babylonian Empire would have still had this light and dark mentality. Mm -hmm. But Nebuchadnezzar would have been a king he would have been divinely appointed, and he would be getting his instruction from his god, Marduk. So for him, bringing light to the world was being ordered through him. And so uh, the Assyrian Empire would have been the same thing. And so what we have is we have these, these world um, rulers that are trying to be, bring uh, order for the, through their god. And basically what they're saying then through conquest is, my god is better than your god. My god is greater than your god. And there's a lot of ways that these gods show up. They may be the local hill gods for all the little chieftain tribes. Uh, it's every, everybody has their own little god that's kind of bringing light to the darkness. And whoever is ruling those tribes or those nations is the authority of that god. And so when we get to scripture, we see this conflict between the people of, of, of Yahweh, the people of God, and the rest of the, of the world. And what ultimately is, is the conflict is what we're seeing in Scripture is, is who is the one who's bringing light? Who is the highest God? Who's the greatest God? Is my God greater than your God? Because right. uh, that's what it's all about. So when we start our story uh, of light and dark, what we find is, is we start in a story with no king. We start in a story of no king. So uh, in the beginning here, what we have of lightness and darkness and, and the world being created, it doesn't need a mediator for that. The way in which the light moves into the darkness and is made known, the person who is actually on the throne and who is king in Scripture is God. Okay, so that's very unique from the very beginning because now we don't need a Pharaoh. We don't need a king of Babylon or king of Assyria. We don't need a king to tell us what is good, what is right. God is on the throne. God who rules all things and is, is directly intervening 
and the heavenly forces are directly intervening in the world so that light can be made known, okay? So that goodness can be made known, so that heaven can meet earth. So in our story, it begins that way, and we don't really get any kingship um, views in the scriptures until later on. In fact, we go through, we get people of God who are coming and they're, they're, they're prophets, the Holy Spirit's falling on them. We'll talk about the spirit and things like that. But what we don't have is a designated king in the scripture. So in this world of light and dark that, everybody, that, that people are living in, rather than needing to go to a king or to a ruler, to a physical person to figure out what is good and what is right, in the beginning of our story and for, for a long time, it's God who is being made known and who is, who is showing up. So um, God reveals himself. And so it starts with a generic term for God in the scriptures in the Hebrew, Elohim, which is the word for gods. But it also can um, be under, in the spiritual realm. And we can get into talking about spiritual beings with our next question next time. So it starts with Elohim and this, 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 this understanding of God and this council of, 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 of spiritual beings but as it goes on, we start to see this name Yahweh, and we see this name show up early. And um, Yahweh is the, the way in which we, we expect that this word is pronounced, but Yahweh is the personal name for God. And we learn this, uh, in, this the ex, in the Moses story, when Moses goes up on the mountain, he's been in exile from the Egyptians, and he sees a burning bush, and God reveals himself, and he says, I need you to go free my people. And um, Moses is like, well, who do I tell them is sending me? Okay, because again, he's not going to use this generic name for God. Pharaoh's got his own, uh, his own God. Said he's, you know, Pharaoh's the king of of Egypt, and in Egypt they would just been known as kings. Uh, it's only the Hebrew Bible that gives us the word Pharaoh, and Pharaoh just means king. So you have the kings of Egypt who, again, are under the rulership of their God. So maybe maybe this maybe it's Ramsey, maybe it's Ra or whoever that Ramsey is is um, is serving under. So the, the king of Egypt has a slew of gods that they can pick from to say, no, you know, we, we have dominance here. And Egypt's the first major world power that we see in scripture. So Moses is going to this major world power and he says, okay, you're going to, I'm, I'm going to go and speak the freedom to your people, but who do I say sent me? And he says, my name is Yahweh. I, and it just, it's literally a play off the word I am. Okay, so uh, the word to exist. So what is the name of God in, in the Hebrew Bible, the personal name of God? How do we refer to the highest of high, the king that's above all kings, the God that's above all gods? In scripture, it's Yahweh, the one who exists. I exist. I am that who I am. So, uh, so what we find is this, this personal name, Yahweh, showing up and having power over everybody. That they're ultimately, he's the God of gods the, that that all these other spiritual beings that are around, they have no authority because they really report to him. And so when we find this power struggle in Egypt with Moses and the Pharaoh, the king, what we have is this power play of gods, of Yahweh and the gods of Egypt. And Yahweh wins, right? And so we have Yahweh um, showing his power and showing his might. But what we don't have is Moses showing up as a king. He's showing up as an ambassador. And so uh, as we find the freedom event in Exodus and we find uh, people uh, moving into their own lands, we have Yahweh showing up and saying, hey, all right, if you're really going to be my people, here's what it looks like to be my people. And you're going to be a people, a priest, 
and not a, not a people that rule the world like these other peoples. I want a kingdom of priests. So Israel is, is sent out, or these Hebrews are sent out into their land with a new way of being. And they bring this temple with them, this tent, this movable tent. And the whole point is, this is the throne of our king. And who's our king? Yahweh is our king. And everywhere we go, his is his throne. So you have the, you know, people may be familiar with the Ark of the Covenant and things like that. And um, if you've watched Nina Jones, you may have had a, a picture of, of the Ark of the Covenant and those Nazis, you know, getting mm-hmm. melted faces and stuff like that. But, but the Ark of the Covenant is literally where the feet of God rest. And so you have this cloud that's guiding the, the Hebrews through the wilderness, um, which is light. This cloud that is light for the, those who are wandering in darkness for those who are outside. So when we see this pillar of fire, it's light, it's holiness. It's, it's literally God showing up for the Hebrews. But from the Egyptians' perspective, it's darkness. And it's created darkness. So you had this light and this dark perspective, and you had this kingship perspective where Yahweh is king. So it fits within this, this realm of light and of dark. And in the story, Yahweh is king and remains to be king. And so when Joshua goes on his conquest, Joshua is not on a conquest as a king. He's a conquest as an ambassador who's coming in and saying the people of God are here. And what they're always trying to do, this conflict is whether or not the people of God that have been chosen and that are are living under this rulership of Yahweh, the real question is whether or not they're going to be loyal to Yahweh as king or loyal to someone else. And they're always wanting to go back to Egypt. They're wanting to go back to those world powers that give them the structure that they want. They like to see a physical, tangible person in that kingship, and they they can't really... Um, their human nature gets in the way when we think about Yahweh showing up as the king. But every time somebody approaches the tent of Yahweh and tries to go to the holiest of holies, they die. Okay, there's a there's it's not it's like somebody can just approach the king. The same thing would be the case if you tried to approach the king in the ancient world and you just walked into their throne room. Uh, somebody would have killed you. Yeah. Okay. So um, so there's this respect piece, but but they really struggle with well. Is Yahweh on the throne? Is he your king? So God's showing up in this miraculous way, saying, Yes, I am king. Brings them on to this place of, of, uh, of the land in which he's promised. And what we find is in this story, it's taken chapters and it's taken books. And now when we finally get to the book of in our in our English Bibles of First Samuel. Well, and we've gone through this period of judges and, and chaos, what we find is we've been living in a world of light and darkness where the world around everybody in the scriptures who live in this world of light and dark, they see authority coming through the realm of people. People are, are, are who are conquerors, who are leaders are in, in the world around them represent a powerful God. And so their powerful God is conquesting and conquering. But yet here's these Hebrews who are conquering, quote unquote, conquesting, quote unquote, who are their own building of a kingdom, but they don't have a person on a throne. They're declaring that their God is greater than all gods. Yahweh is the big, is the greatest of all. We don't need to heal gods. You hear the Psalms where, do, you know, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the hill gods. My help comes from the Lord. So you yeah. have you have this this uh, mentality that that Yahweh is king, 
Yahweh is God. He's the greatest God of all. He's higher than everything else, but he's also king. And so, uh, so it's very important before we jump into these other pieces of the words that are important to scripture, to Jesus, and to us today, that we understand first this under, uh, light and dark and the way in which the world of the, of the Bible, those interact. So you have a world of light, which is the heavenly places, the spiritual realm, the world of darkness where we live, which is our reality. And the way in which the light invades the darkness so that the darkness is no more is through the authority of a king. And kings are aligned to a particular God. And so in scripture, it's no different. In scripture, though, the, the king who's sitting on the throne is Yahweh. All right. So that's the first thing to, to start with. So uh, let me pause right there, uh, Matt. What are some things that come to mind there? Uh, th is this the first time you've heard this? Well, yeah, it's a different perspective. I don't think I have heard. I think the biggest thing that you, I kind of pull out of that is just, you know, God is not lightness for everybody. I think that, you know, we all have to understand that, that just because we see God as light and we see God as good does not mean the world does. And there are a lot of people in this world that, that sees God as negative or bad. And And honestly, I think, a lot of people we probably come in contact with every day because um, of who they associate God with and, and, and what they associate God with. Maybe they've been, you know, the church has kind of turned their back on them. Maybe there's something the church did that kind of hurt them. Well, then it's like, okay, well, this is a God thing. This is not a people thing. And I think that we often find ourselves kind of pushing and, and it seems like we're trying to push God back into a different, um, in, a, in a different light. And we have to see God as, as, as who he is and what he is. And I think that kind of leads us right into, you know, when Jesus came and, and Jesus became a part of this. Yeah. And that's, uh, man, that's, that's really good. This is another, there's so many themes that yeah. we pick up in this. this. That's how deep and rich this is. They talk about how uh, in scripture, uh, in different Psalms, and it's, this is, this is really referred to as a deep watering well. Yeah. And, the, and I think we're already seeing just in this, we're uncovering so much that we can dig deep into. Yep. Uh, in fact, the, the literature that we call scripture is called meditation literature. And it's Hebrew, it's, uh, it's Jewish meditation literature. The whole scripture, if we were to, to look at the overall genre, because it's something that you read, you meditate on, and you learn something new. Yep. So when we think about that, you know, how God, you know, isn't always light for everybody. That theme is so important because uh, when we see God showing up in, um, in, in our beginning of our story. He showed up as fire, which is light. And that's something that's good and holy for the Hebrews. When, when God fills the tabernacle, the tent for the first time, fire is coming down. It's a pillar of fire. We look at that as destruction. Well, those who are from Egypt who are falling behind, God is darkness and God is destruction. Mm -hmm. Well, that view of God being light and fire be representing holiness for those who are people of God. People of God are not afraid of that. They had this respect of it, reverence of it, but but they understand that this is a good thing. But for those who are outside of the people of God, it's a terrifying yeah. thing. And this is something that we'll pick up when we talk about later on in the book of Revelation, because we see the same thing happening where the world is finally able to come face to face with God. And then what do you find? Yeah. The people that the river that flows uh, from the throne that is holiness, that is life and the trees of life. The people of God are given life. What about the people who aren't of God? What do they, what, what do they experience? They experience yeah. a fire, a lake mm -hmm. of fire. So you have a lake of life. Yeah. Also compared to this lake of fire, right? So, so it really is a perspective thing. And, and so uh, that's something really fun to dig into in this, this, this really is a big theme, but, um, but for me, I would say applying that into where we are today and, and who we see today. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you bring up 
um, in your day-to-day talk and your day-to-day walk, when you bring up um, God, some people have a reaction of, oh no, you know, like, I, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to talk about this. What has caused that, you know, that almost that, that negative thought is the same concept. It's, it's two things that are working against each other that are, that are kind of separating, you know, whatever it is that caused that separation, that, that can be whatever it is in their personal journey, their personal walk. So we have to understand that, you know, whoever we're talking to, no matter how they feel about God, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that feeling of darkness. There's a reason yeah. for that feeling of negativity. And yes, that often comes from other believers or it is projected to us as believers um, because we are now an example to them as darkness. So we have to change that perspective. We have to allow them to see the, the lightness, just like um, God allowed us to see the lightness through scripture in, in so many different times yeah. that this is not of evil. This is not a um, negative. This is a positive thing that God can just come through. So I think for us, we have to understand that not everybody that, that, that has these feelings is, is because of any reason other than that. That's the, the, the opening and, and the example that they've had of who God is um, often through his, the people of God. Yeah. So we have to help them see the light yeah. um, through that. So. Yeah. And God looks like it's a very scary thing. It is. To approach. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's continue a little forward here. So, uh, you know, do we just leave God with this doom and gloom? Yeah. No, like the whole point was, you know, how do we relate Jesus and God? Okay. So what we wanted to do was set this framework for understanding the story. And the story starts with light and darkness and the way in which the light invades the darkness is through a king. In our story, Yahweh is revealed to be the name of God. Okay, so when we when we say the word God, what we're in the in this in the Hebrew Bible, what we're meaning is Yahweh. And you'll often see this in your Bible as the word Lord with all capital letters, but it'd be in in, in you know, like lower, it it'd be the same size as your lowercase font. So when you see typically when you see that word Lord like that, that is the personal name for Yahweh. Um, so, uh, we have this, this, you have God showing up being named who is the the highest God of all who is King Yahweh is King. So let's move forward in our story a little bit. And this is in first Samuel, uh, chapter, um, chapter eight. And so let's look at first Samuel, uh, chapter eight for a minute. Chapter eight is really important for our story here. If we look back at light and darkness and kingship, uh, the Hebrews have been in, in their land and, what's happening is, is they don't look like everybody else. And so what we want to see here is this, let's listen to this story real quick. This is coming from first Samuel chapter eight. Samuel has been a prophet and is speaking on behalf of God, but Samuel is not King. Yahweh is King. So when Samuel got old, he appointed his sons to serve as Israel's judges. Judges are not Kings. Okay. They're representative, they're ambassadors, but they are not King. Yahweh is King. The name of his oldest son was Joel. The name of his second son, Abijah. They served as judges in Beersheba, but Samuel's sons didn't follow in his footsteps. They tried to turn a prophet. They accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. So all the Israelite elders got together, and they went to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, listen, you're old now, and your sons don't follow in your footsteps. So appoint us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. It seems very, it seemed very bad to Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So he prayed to the Lord. Now here's the important piece. The Lord answered to Samuel. Samuel's upset. 
This is, this is something that maybe we've glossed over so many times. This is the turning point, a huge turning point in Scripture. The Lord answered Samuel, comply with the people's request, everything they ask of you, because they haven't reject you, rejected you. No, they've rejected me as king over them. This is Yahweh speaking. No, they've rejected me as king over them. They are doing to you only what they've been doing to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this very minute, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. So comply with their request, but give them a clear warning, telling them how the king will rule over them. So this is a huge turning point in the scripture where we have Yahweh as king and he's been ruling as king. Uh, people have not been listening. So why do we have all this chaos happening in the Old Testament? Why does God look like a very vengeful God? Why is, you know, why, why, you know how, do we come, um, how do we justify a lot of things in the scripture? What we realize is a lot of the things that we're dealing with in, in the Old Testament when Yahweh is king and is trying to rule is we're, is we're dealing with people who are unfaithful to his kingship. We do, what we're dealing with are people who are looking to, to step in that role themselves. And they're using other gods and they're using the tactics of other gods and really claiming the way in which other people are acting as the way of Yahweh. And he's saying, no, they've been abandoning me for the minute that I let them out on this. So here is the turning point in scripture where they say, we need a king. And God said, hey, Yahweh said, you, you're abandoning me. Give him a king. This isn't going to work out well for him. And, um, and so they say, yeah, we understand. We want a king. And so Yahweh says, all right, let's give him a king. So now at this turning point, what we have in Scripture is we have the Hebrew nation, the Israelite nation, developing like everybody else. That's what they said, right? They said, we won't appoint us a king to judge us like all the other nations. We don't like Yahweh as king. We need a physical person who's a representative of Yahweh uh, because they would do a better job than Yahweh would do. And, um, and so now we have this theme of light and dark coming to fruition in the way in which we would expect with the fallen nature of, of humanity, where again, you have this fall narrative where we're again reje rejecting the rule of God. And so God's going to give them a king. He's going to place them there. And what we have now is this lineage of a king of Israel and of Judah, who is going to be the person of Yahweh. So we first get this king of, of, of Saul. And so Saul is the one who's going to be the light bearer because Yahweh's not the light bearer anymore. Now there's a king. So Saul is meant to be the light bearer. And we see uh, the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence on King, on king Saul. And for a while that works out well until Saul doesn't work out well, right? And so God takes his spirit away. He says, no, you're no longer going to be my light bearer. I'm going to choose somebody else. And so then we have the rise of David as king. But what we have from this point on is a physical person sitting on a physical throne declaring rulership over a kingdom that looks like everybody else who says, I am a ruling authority. You see me here, put my image on things. This is, I, I am the representative, the image of God to people. What does goodness look like? What does light look like? It looks like what I tell you. And so, uh, so some kings are good kings. Some kings are, are, are kings that listen to Yahweh. 
they, I mean, they fail at, I mean, at different points for sure, but you have kings that are listening to the rule of Yahweh and trying to lead their kingdom the way in which Yahweh would like it to be ruled. And then you have other kings who are completely abandoning Yahweh. And they're using the name of Yahweh as, uh, as the means of ruling, but really, again, they're serving other gods. They're using the, the tactics and the, the culture of those around them to rule. So from this point on in the story, we have a king. Now, here's something very specific um, that is also very cultural that we may not understand. When we look at um, the light and the darkness theme, the, the, uh, and God being in heaven and ruling, that is, that, the, that is what we would term Father, okay? So when we think about the Trinity, we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we talk about Father, what we're talking about is the one who rules the spiritual world, okay? Um, in fact, uh, Elohim, the first uh, words that we get for, for God, comes from the word El, which is the, uh, in fact, we see Yahweh at times referred to as El, which is the, which means father, it means the father God, the highest of high, the oldest of old. And so, uh, so, so what we're finding is this father relationship here being uh, one of ultimate authority in scripture and our ultimate authority in the heavenly places. The king, though, interesting enough, here's a word that we use for king. When we talk about kings in the Bible, we're talking about kings in the rest of the world as well. And because kings hear from a God, a God, they are representing a God, the term for king in the ancient world is son of God. Okay, so maybe we've heard that word before. That word shows up a lot with, with Jesus, right? When we hear the word son of God, that is a literal title for king. All right, let me show you where that comes from as well. This is the same for any any kingship in the ancient world. So Nebuchadnezzar was the son, called the son of God. So who? The son of his God. All right. So God being a generic term here, uh, we could talk about son of Marduk. We could talk about son of Yahweh. But what we're talking about is this term son of God, which means king. So we even see this show up in our scripture and define this for us in case we are missing it in the culture in 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, God makes a promise to David. And so I'm going to read a little bit of this here um, just to start. This is when the king, David, was settled in his palace. And the Lord had given him rest from all of his surrounding enemies. He's getting old now. The king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I'm living in a cedar palace, but God's chest is housed in a tent. Okay, because you still have this temple where God's throne is. All right, so God responds to David, and they're making a promise, and, and here's what he tells David um, later on. Um, this is going to be looking closer to verse 14. So the Lord declares to you, he's talking to David, that the Lord will make a dynasty for you, and this is starting in verse 11. Uh, when the time comes for you to die and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your descendants one of your very own children to succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. All right. Now listen here at verse 14, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Whenever he does wrong, I will discipline, discipline him with a human rod with blows from a human being, but I will never take my faithful love away from him. Like I took it away from Saul whom I set aside in favor of you 
your dynasty and your kingdom will be secured forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So here we have this promise, this covenant between David and Yahweh, where Yahweh says, from this point on, your, your dynasty, your legacy, your, your descendants will be king. They will be the one to declare light to darkness from this point on. There will always be a king for Yahweh. Okay, and Yahweh will be the father and the king will be the son. Okay, and so, uh, so this here being son of God. So David, consider son of God. Solomon, son of God. Okay, so this is where the son of God language comes in. And this is where this is really important because God is making this covenant, this promise with David, that this kingship will not end. There will always be a king or will need to be a king over uh, Israel over Judah, there will always need to be a king that represents Yahweh. And so um, that's not going away, and this will come through you. So, so this is where the Son of God language comes in. What's your, um, what is, how does that feel to you? What are your thoughts that you have with that? I think it clears it up a lot. I think having a, a connection to, um, to, to where we're kind of coming into where Jesus is considered Son of God, and then it kind of just really opens up to how as worldly we kind of, we kind of see this and we kind of understand it. It's almost like a, a, hey, guys, listen, I know this is how you, you, you see these things. I know this is how you contemplate and how you understand how the world works. I'll provide this way for you so you can understand me a little bit more. Yeah, so, uh, you know, these are, these are linked. This is a different culture. It's a different way of seeing the world. The Bible is very foreign to us in a lot of ways. And so, um, so understanding the language is important. So when we talk about Father, we're talking about God and God, God is ruler of, of, the, of the spiritual forces of the spiritual realm of, of heaven. Uh, we're talking about the God of gods when we, talk, when we talk about Father. When we say Son, Father, Son, when we say Son, we mean King. That's what we mean. Yeah. Son of God means King. Now, there's another word that's used um, in... Um, of Jesus. And this is the, the um, word for son of man. Now this is different. So um, this comes from Daniel. And if, um, if you look in Daniel, you'll find that this language shows up at different places and different times. So what I'm trying to find now, because I didn't have it marked in my Bible, was the, um, oh, here it is. So this is in chapter uh, three, um, and this is the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, they, are, they are followers of Yahweh, and they're in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, and um, Nebuchadnezzar says to them in verse 14 of chapter three of Daniel, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? If you are now ready to do so, bow down and worship the gold statue I've made when you hear the sound of horn, pipe, scyther, lyre, harp, flute, and every kind of instrument. But if you won't worship it, you will be thrown straight into the furnace of flaming fire. Then what God will rescue you from my power? So you have never, at this point, the kingdom of Israel and Judah has fallen. There is no more king. Uh, David's lineage is said to have been slaughtered. So God promised there will always be a king, a son of God. Um, that represents Yahweh, and Nebuchadnezzar is trying to, to, trying to uh, make sure that that doesn't happen. 
Now here, the Babylonians are declaring Yahweh is not God of all. Marduk's better than Yahweh. But here in this story, you have people who are still being faithful to Yahweh. And then, so they respond. They said, we don't need to answer your question. If our God, the one we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace of flaming fire and from your power, your majesty then let him rescue your majesty, then let him rescue us. But if he doesn't, know this for certain. Your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. So you have people here who are so loyal to Yahweh as the as the God of all that they're not they're not afraid. And again, we have this fire theme, right? So we just talked earlier about how God shows up as fire and as destruction for people who aren't of God. And you have people here who are going to be thrown into this destructive place and they're not worried because the thing that destroys for them has no power over them because for them, Yahweh is of ultimate authority. And, that, and so here they get thrown into the furnace and uh, you may or may not, people may or may not know this story. Um, and they start looking in and, and um, the, the, they expect everybody to be, be killed and they're not. And um, so Nebuchadnezzar jumps in shock and he looks, as he looks in, he said, didn't we throw three men bound that were tied down into this fire pit? And, the, and um, they answered, they said, certainly your majesty, of course we did. We did what you said. And he said, so look, I see four unbound. They're not bound anymore. And they're walking around inside the fire and they're not hurt. And the fourth one looks like one of the gods. And you uh, may even have a footnote there. What did your Bible say in verse, uh, in verse 25 of chapter 3? Um, it says, A god, one of a class of being associated with the divine council mm -hmm. as attendance to the deity. Yeah, yeah, what is your physical, like if you looked at verse 25 and verse, in oh, chapter 3, okay. what does yours read? It reads, he replied, but I see four men uh, unbound walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt. <clears throat> and the fourth has an appearance of a God. Yeah, of a God. And, and so we have, we have here all of a sudden setting the stage for Daniel, for this figure who's showing up in the midst of fire. And you have this figure showing up where there should be a king of Israel and Yahweh should be showing his power through the king of Israel. Now, all of a sudden, there's this other figure that's showing up in Daniel that's a surprise. There's a fourth person in the fire. Who could this person be? You know? And so, so what happens is you begin to have these, these visions in Daniel. And so Daniel starts telling more and more about rulership and about the God that he serves. And what we find is we have this figure who's showing up in Daniel, and he's often he one he's often referred to as as this person who's showing up who's like a son of man. Okay, so you get this story here. He's like a, he's like one of the gods. They don't call him a son of the gods. He's like one of the gods that are running around here. He doesn't make sense. How is this person um, here? Okay. And then as Daniel begins to describe more and more for, for, um, for the kings of, of Babylon, what's happening, uh, you have this guy showing up, and he's, he's referred to as someone, he's not, he's not a human. Yeah. There's divinity there. There's, there's, a, you know, there's, there's, there's this light piece. There's, this person's a spiritual being, but he looks like a man. And Nebuchadnezzar calls him an angel, right? 
So uh, well, there's depending on the translation, depends on how people uh, talk about it. But this, you know, in Daniel's where we begin to get this new image for son of man. Yeah. So it's important when we talk about son of God, be, that's, that's the language for king. And when we talk about uh, this new language now of someone who is from this realm of light, who's showing up is one like the son of man. Okay, so son of man is actually this category of a divine being, a spiritual being that looks like a human. Yeah. Now, those are not terms that we, we typically get those terms confused. Son of God, we think would be divine. Son of man, we think would be human born. But those are actually swapped in scripture. Son of God means king. Son of man is this, this spiritual divinity person who's showing up. And so from this point on in our story, what we have is we have no king of Israel. We have no son of God of Israel who's supposed to be the divine ruler of, um, you know, coming from, uh, or this, this person who's inspired by Yahweh and brings light to the darkness. And we have now this, this person showing up who um, is playing a different role. And he's almost showing up in a way in which we would expect Yahweh to show up earlier before there was a king. Yeah. So this begins the desire and the look for a person who is uh, what we call Messiah. Okay. So the, the anointed one. So when we hear words, um, words like that, well, you know, are you the Messiah? Are you the divine messenger who is going to be the conqueror who conquers these other kingdoms? Are you going to be this divine um, being, spiritual being under the authority of Yahweh, who's going to show up and defeat the Babylonians? You know, Nebuchadnezzar is just shown right here that he doesn't have real power and his God doesn't have power. Yeah. But all you find is that, that these people, these three people are saved by this, this divine being. Yeah. So, uh, so, so you have this yearning for, um, as, as the, as the, as they leave exile from the Babylonian captivity, you have this yearning for, uh, for a new ruler and you don't have one show up. Okay, so uh, so when we talk about Father, when we're what we're talking about is the is the ruler of all the heavenly spaces. When we talk about Son of God, we're talking about King. When we talk about Son of Man, we're talking about a divine messenger, the divine ruleship of this person that we're looking for. We're looking at for a divine conqueror. All right, so um, so those are our categories as we enter into the story of Jesus. So what is that? Um, how does that help you in processing as we begin to approach this scenario of who is Jesus and who is God? Well, I think that it, it, it slowly starts just starting to clear up why there, it's necessary. You know, why, why do we have to go through this and why do we need this? And why, why does the world need this connection, you know, and, and, and the, the hunger for that connection and the hunger and the desire um, that we have to, to get to that point, to have that um, Messiah, visibly in front of us mm -hmm. so that we can um, be connected to, you know, Yahweh. Yeah. Well, um, and you can see, this is a story that's being told over the scope of our, what we call old Testament. Yeah. So if we, you know, when we get to the new Testament, we get the story of Jesus, the story of Jesus 
the good news, the gospel, which is we have four gospel accounts, but there's one gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all seen as one good. They're all four pieces of one big story about Jesus. Um, they're assuming that you already have this understanding of the world. Yeah. Okay. So our modern perspective, if we're not bringing an ancient perspective to this, we're going to miss so much and it's going to get really confusing. Yep. And the um, and now when we get to the New Testament, we get to the gospel, the four, the, the four accounts of the gospel. We, uh, we now are still in a culture that sees light and dark, who sees um, the realm of the gods mediated through a king. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Roman empire is not much different. But here's something unique that helps us dig deeper into Jesus. And this is getting, you know, this is a long way around answering Amberly's question, but I think it's an important conversation to have. When we get to the day of Jesus and we get to the Roman Empire, um, what we have is uh, now we have a person on the throne. The story of Julius Caesar has already happened. Um, and we have Octavius on the throne, and we have the lineage of Octavius on the throne, and they are called Caesar. Caesar is the word for king in the Roman Empire. But here's something unique about the Roman Empire. They still live in this realm of light and dark like everybody else, and they had their gods. But Octavius since, uh, does something that um, no one else does, and he, um, he does something that all the future Caesars will do from this point forward, including Caesar during the time of Jesus, they're declaring that that Caesar, the king of Rome, is not just son of God, not just king, but is also the God. Okay? So now they're declaring, unlike anyone else before them, that they are God. And who is the highest God of the spiritual realm for them? Caesar is. So you can worship Mercury, you can worship um, Jupiter and Zeus and all these other people, Athena and all that, but, but Caesar is God of, uh, God of gods and king of kings. So what's being declared is in, in, in the ancient world is actually what's called good news. And um, so you had the good news in the Roman Empire of the Son of God, of the Caesar. Mm-hmm. And the good news is known as Pax, Rom- Pax Romana, which is um, the Roman good news is uh, victory. It brings peace. So uh, do you want to live at peace? What is the good news of, of, of the Roman Empire? That you can be at peace. And the way you get at peace is you become Roman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will conquer you. And there's one or two ways in which you get to receive peace. You choose willingly to become a part of Rome and live under the ruleship of Caesar, and that brings you peace. Or we will defeat you, and then you will still be under the ruleship of Caesar, yeah. and you'll be at peace. So when, we show, when, when Jesus shows up on the scene, what we have is this world-ruling empire that's declaring this, this person is king and God. And there are temples to Caesar. There's a, an entire imperial cult in the days of Jesus, in the days of Paul. And, and so we, when we go to these different towns in our, in our scriptures, we go to uh, Ephesus and we go to all these other towns, Thessalonica. We actually have 
uh, temples to Caesar where people are worshiping Caesar. And you, you, that was what you did as a good Roman. You had to actually go and make sure you paid your dues and gave your worship to Caesar, okay? So now this light and dark and kingship um, understanding is at, is at an all new high end dilemma, okay? And the ruler over uh, Israel is under the rulership of the Caesar. He's kind of like a puppet king. So when we start hearing like King Herod and the king of, 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 of Israel and things like that, these are not real kings. These are not the kings of Yahweh. This is not the promised king that, 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 God, that Yahweh promised to David. This is a puppet king that Caesar has placed there mm -hmm. and that is loyal to Rome. And so when you get the narratives, the, the, the nativity story, and you've got these wise men showing up, these astrologers from a faraway area, they're coming to look for the king. And King Herod's like, well, I need to find this king. And he's trying to kill, kill this, this newborn baby. Why? Because the real king is Caesar. Yeah. And people are declaring that, no, this baby that's being born is king. Okay. So, so the story of Jesus is, a, is the story of where the real king shows up. This, the gospel, the good news of Jesus in four accounts is in complete opposition to the good news of the Roman Empire, that God has shown up and there is a new king on the throne. So the story of the good news of Jesus in all these gospels is revealing to people that Jesus is the person who's been long awaited for. And so Jesus shows up as king and as Messiah. So the words that are referred to for Jesus are son of God. You'll see often son of God. And, um, and so when we see that, that word son of God, who people say that I am, some people say that you're the son of God. They mean that you're king. Okay. And when Jesus is nailed to the cross, he is, he is actually killed as, uh, as a terrorist, as a Roman terrorist, because uh, as a terrorist against Rome and, um, and Pilate puts up on his cross the king of the Jews, and the Jews are upset. They're like, no, 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 no. We didn't kill him for, for that. We killed him because he said he was Yahweh. But, but Pilate said, no, what I wrote, I wrote. Because the right king, here is the king of the Jews, declares that this person has higher authority. And, um, and at the end of that story, that's where you realize that with the Romans, uh, after Jesus dies, even the Romans who crucified Jesus when he, when he dies, he said, oh my God, this guy really is the son of God. What they're declaring, this guy really is king. So you have this revelation that, that Jesus is the son of God, Jesus is king, but you have this other revelation that Jesus is the son of man. And that's the word for Christ, the, the, the word for Messiah. And this is this divine conqueror who's showing up. So Jesus is fully human, but he's also feel fully divine. He's the king that we've been, the long-awaited king in the line of David that we've been looking for, the one who's going to bring real peace and really conquer. But the way in which Jesus conquers is not the way that people expect it. So he, here you have Jesus bringing, bringing the divine uh, rule of Yahweh and revealing that he is king. So what about this Jesus and God thing? Is it, do we believe in God? Do we believe in Jesus? And that is what gets Jesus in a pickle in the New Testament. Because Jesus is letting people know that, that he is Yahweh. Okay? So Yahweh, who once was sat on the throne and ruled, 
the story is being corrected now because Yahweh is showing up and he's shown up in a way in which people needed to see because what did they want? They wanted a physical king, right? They wanted a physical person sitting on a throne. All right. We don't like Yahweh on throne because we can't see him. We can't touch him. We don't really, you know, we don't, you know, can we really trust what everybody else is saying? So here in Jesus, we have the incarnation. We have, we have Yahweh showing up in a physical way in which we can understand the ruleship and the way in which Yahweh wants to bring light to the world. What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? This is what it means. And so we have Jesus as fully human, but also fully divine. Who is Yahweh? Jesus is Yahweh. This is Yahweh showing up and taking his rightful place on the throne. So by the end of the story, what we have is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when Jesus dies for the world, he truly represents for the world uh, what kingship looks like. And he stays in control the entire time. Uh, when Jesus is, and people were wondering, well, maybe he really wasn't this. His disciples, Jesus' disciples, are are trusting that he is who he says he is. They believe that he is Yahweh. They believe he's the conquering king who's to come. In fact, when we even look at the, at the betrayal of Judas, what we may find in the betrayal of Judas is that really Judas is just trying for, to, to push, to force Jesus's hand. Judas believes in Jesus so much and trusts in Jesus so much. He is ready for Jesus to show his hand and free everyone from Roman authority. So what we miss in Judas's betrayal is that Judas is so faithful and believes in Jesus so much that he is willing to take things in his own power in his own hand and say, you know what, we're going to, I'm going to tell everybody where Jesus is at because they're going to show up and Jesus is going to show up and he's going to, he's not going to let this happen to him because he's, you know, he's just been declared as king. He's been, he's been, he's come through the the, the, the temple gates and everybody's declared, here's the son of David. And I mean, he's ready to sit on the throne. So, so here is Judas going and, and saying, Hey, it's Jesus time. Y'all come get him because he's going to show up. And so Peter, who's what's Peter ready to do? Peter pulls his sword out. He's ready to fight. People are ready for Jesus to bring the fight, to be the king they've been looking for. And in the midst of this betrayal, in the midst of Peter cutting somebody's ear off, in the midst of everybody ready for Jesus to be the king that they've been looking for, Jesus sets a new standard and he goes away with them and he dies on a cross and everybody abandons him because they said, well, maybe he really wasn't because they trusted that he was finally going to bring the kingdom. In fact, people start asking Jesus, when you be, bring, you bring your kingdom, can I sit on your side and your right hand side? And Jesus tells them, you don't understand what you're asking. And so when Jesus is, is crucified and, and, and died and he's buried, it's important that he's not just, and it's not important that he's just resurrected. We get the resurrection story. So Jesus truly is God and Yahweh, the power over life and death. And we have him continuing to say, this is what the kingdom is going to look like. Um, I am the son of God. I am the son of man, but I am the king and I am the Messiah, but also his, his ascension. And that's something that's extremely important because when we have Jesus ascending, what we have is Jesus taking his seat on the throne. Where did Yahweh rule from? Yahweh ruled from his heavenly places. How did he show up? He put his feet on the Ark of the Covenant. And everywhere that the Ark went was a little piece of heaven. And so now you have Jesus, who, is, who, who we call Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, Son of God. Okay, so, so we're defining that Jesus of Nazareth 
is, is, the, is the Messiah King, the anointed King, the divine King. Jesus is Yahweh, and Jesus is sitting on the throne as he always has been. He's in his rightful place. And now, where does his feet sit? His feet sit on the people of God, and his spirit flows into the people of God. Now, everywhere where the people of God go, there's a little piece of heaven on earth. And so, who is Jesus? Who is God? When you get these I am sayings in John, go and read. How many times is Jesus saying, I am? What he's saying is, is I am Yahweh. Okay, so when you, when you look at John 58, I'm going to flip back there real quick. And um, John 8, 58, and Jesus is speaking. He says, I assure you, before Abraham was, Yahweh. Okay, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. <laughs> okay, so you have these I am statements in John where Jesus is revealing himself. And so why are people so upset? He's not the king that they expected. And he's declaring himself as Yahweh. And so the whole revelation of the story and why Jesus is the answer to the story and why, why the church is good news is that things have been made right. And the way in which the light invades the darkness, which is a huge theme in John, the way in which the light invades the darkness is through the king. And Jesus is king. And Jesus is invading the darkness, and the darkness has no power, and the darkness is no more because Jesus is empowering his people. Jesus is showing up. He's really present in the world today through everyone on this planet and through every person who has been awakened to the power of Jesus. They then get to bring a little piece of heaven on earth. And so when we talk about Father, when we talk about Son and Holy Spirit, we're we do worship one God. And when we talk about the name of Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus. We're praying in the name of one God. When we talk about the Father, we're talking about how God, how God is ruling in the heavenly places. When we talk about the Son, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about how, how God is ruling in our physical place. So God has control, and God, God is ruling over the universe, over the spiritual universe, and over our physical universe through the Father and the Son. And when we talk about Holy Spirit, what we're talking about is the way in which God shows up in our lives and empowers us to be a kingdom of kings and of priests. So that's a long way of answering this question of how do we answer people about Jesus and, and God? Are there two different people? No, they're not. And I don't expect people to be able to take this information and start teaching people about, you know, what is the Trinity and what is the Son of God and, and Jesus. But I do hope that it helps empower people to have confidence in who Jesus says that he is and that we can have with confidence say that Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. And, and that is good news. And the good news of Jesus is that God, the kingdom of God has shown up even to you, even to you, whoever you are. The good news is that the kingdom of God has shown up even to you, that God is walking alive with you and is present in your life, even when you don't know it. And that the grace of God, the work of God in your life has been at work and is wanting to, to reveal to you that, king, that the kingdom of heaven, that heaven, this place of goodness is available to you right now. And as we open our eyes to that and we begin to learn more about, this, about the work of God in our lives, and Jesus begins to show up. It begins to transform the way in which we see the world. It doesn't mean that all the bad things stop happening, but it means that we have a little slice of heaven on earth where the world doesn't rule us, and the people of this world don't rule us. That our ultimate authority comes from Jesus, and our ultimate allegiance isn't to Rome. Our ultimate allegiance isn't to the people of this world or to a nation or to any individual. 
our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus because we have extreme faithfulness in him as king and that he is the last king there ever needs to be. And so anyone else who may rule in this world, they're not really king. They don't have the real authority. And that's what Paul gets into. And that's another story for another day. But um, but I hope that this has been a, a, I know it's been a long conversation, but I hope it's been a good conversation to help us see the story, the story of God that, that goes through this entire story of humanity um, up through Jesus and empowering the church. And why, why is it good news for the church? And why is it good news today? And it is good news because God has shown up and, um, and that God rules all. That Jesus is who He says He is, and um, and it's it's something that we can continue to talk about and dive deeper in, deeper in. But it really is kind of this this basis for understanding the world around us. Even if we don't see the world as light and dark anymore, um, it's still the reality of applying that to the way in which we see the world today. So I think I'm going to stop talking for a moment. And Matt, what are some things that you would like to to speak into that? Well, I would like to just kind of ask you a question because mm-hmm. um, I know that this is kind of a lot of information and it is I, I, I process things so much different than you do. And, and honestly, like this is the kind of stuff that I love. I soak this up because I'm able to kind of really understand the, the background and I love that. But the realistic side is if I'm walking and I'm talking to somebody about embraced or if I'm talking to somebody about, um, you know, having a relationship with God, whatever that conversation is. And they ask me this question and <laughs> I, if I go into the same thing that you just said, then that's, they're going to probably walk away it's about no five minutes in maybe if they get that long. 60 seconds in they're out. How do you answer that question to somebody that walks up to you on the street and says, are these the same people? So with all I've just said, mm-hmm. And I, I'll give you my answer to that. But with all I've just said, as you're processing this, yeah, what it what is it that stands out to you, and what is it that right now you're processing in the way in which you would like to approach it? What is it the most? What are some of the important things that you would like to relate to somebody out of this? To me, I mean, if I was personally pulling this out, I mean, and, and this is the thing that just got me the most. I think the whole time, and I think I already talked about it once, but. Um, I believe that Jesus was brought to this world because the world was falling into darkness and he wanted, God wanted to say, you know what? Here is real light. This is the, this is what you can put your, your coins in. This is what you can put everything into and say, God, um, I need something to show me the light. And Jesus gave us that opportunity. And now when Jesus, um, you know, died, the Holy spirit became a part of that light. And now we, are blessed and, and, and fortunate that because of God having that desire and having that need to show the light again, we are now able to show the light through the Holy spirit. And that's what I would, that that's how I would explain it. Um, you know, and I am, a I know that there's people think so, you know, processing so differently and I, I process things so much differently than uh, clay, but that, that's what I would, you know, kind of grab from that is just that um, God is giving us an opportunity to show that his light, through the Holy Spirit, and that comes through um, the Son of God and Jesus. Yeah, um, that's a, those are really good things you're processing there. And the reality is, is the way that we approach this conversation with other people can't be a place of intellect. Now, yep. I've just been, I've intellected the crap out of this, right? But we need that as well. <laughs> like, that, that is important. That's to help inform us about things. But the reality is, is it's one thing to declare that Jesus is king in all of our allegiance. To Jesus, it's a whole other thing to actually experience that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so what people don't need from us is an intellectual conversation. 
about who Jesus is. Yep. There's a time and a place to talk through that as mm -hmm. we've done today yeah. and reveal the story of God and the story of us. But really um, what we need to be able to share is our experience with Jesus. And so if somebody were to say, Hey, um, what is, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in God? What is, you know, are those two different people? What do you, what do you declare for me? The way I would say that is, is that, um, that I, I am allegiant, my utmost allegiance. And when I talk about faith, that's the word. When I say faithfulness, that's what I mean. Allegiance. Mm -hmm. I am 100% allegiant to Jesus and Jesus is King of this world. And not only is Jesus king of the world, he is, he is God. Yep. He is king of the, of the spiritual world around us that we can't see. There is no higher authority in heaven or earth. He is the father and he is the son. He is the father and he is king. He is the, he is the highest of high. There is no spiritual authority higher than Jesus. There is no physical authority higher than Jesus. And Jesus is empowering his people to live lives allegiant to him and declare allegiance to others and to help others live under that rulership. And so there's times in that. So when I say, I believe in Jesus, I, 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 I live life with Jesus daily and I am trying to bring in my own life to live in this new life where, where the kingdom of God is near even to me. And I want to reveal that to others. And I know it sounds crazy in today's world in a world of that's highly political, yeah. In a world where politics have been merged with faithfulness, merged with faith. We talk about how faith and politics don't even have anything in common. When we use the word faith, we're using the word allegiance. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, um, and I don't need to get into politics right now, right. but what I'm, but what we're declaring as Christians is that our authority person is Jesus. Yep. And spiritual authority, physical authority. And there's times where I can live in this world as a faithful, um, person in any country and there's going to be aspects of probably any human rule that 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 match or don't match with with christianity yep and the reality is is when what this world does or what a ruler does or what somebody who declares to have authority does that is contrary to the good news that is jesus that is contrary to the kingdom of god on earth my allegiance is to the kingdom of god yeah Okay. So that's, that's the way in which I would talk about it. And I think there's a lot of things that way that I described that, that, that it probably throws a lot of flags up for people because we don't talk about allegiance when we talk about faith. Yeah. Right? We normally don't talk about allegiance when we're talking about religion with people. And so the moment we start saying I'm allegiant to Jesus, that is making a statement and that Jesus is my place of spiritual authority and physical authority. That's making a statement. And that's not a statement that can be answered with rules and regulations. That's a statement that can only be answered with experience and with life and with the story of Jesus. Um, and it's, it's an invite into the journey. Um, and, and other people may not want to be on that journey with me, but it is an invitation for others to experience that. Why am I allegiant to Jesus? Why is he good news? Uh, come and see. Yeah. Come and see. Let me tell you how Jesus has shown up in my life. Come and see. Yep. Let me tell you how the kingdom of God has come near to me and why I'm more allegiant to Jesus than anything else is because I know this is where good, this is ultimate good news right here. And this, this good news isn't going to fail and it's not going to be manipulated. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the way in which I address um, that with people.
Well, hopefully this, uh, you know, these videos and um, different podcasts that we do, you know, I, I always kind of see it as a, you know, having a new tool bag and, and you slowly are putting new tools in to kind of really be able to, to do, you know, to, to have a better understanding of who God is and, and how to explain God to other people. So hopefully throughout these different um, videos that we do, you can just slowly but surely put some more um, uh, tools in that tool bag. And then eventually, you know, you'll really be able to kind of know, first of all, we're, we're all still putting tools in our tool bags, yeah. but um, just have a better understanding of who I God is. I think today we just built the side of a toolbox. I think we did. We built <laughs> we built a lot today, and this is a foundation uh, work right here for sure. So, so. I, uh, before we open this up for, for more conversation for, for those who are joining us, um, I'd like to share this piece from Acts chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 37. This is uh, actually verse 34. This is uh, how Peter, who is... Um, filled with the Holy Spirit, is a person who's sent out by Jesus to declare good news to others. This is how he describes this to a Roman ruler of people. Okay, so this is he's speaking to a centurion, Cornelius, who, as a centurion, he's over about 600 Roman soldiers. You can't get more allegiant to Caesar than a Roman soldier. So, so Cornelius is about bringing Roman peace to the world. Okay, how do you get at peace? How, what is good news? Let me conquer you or submit to our will. That's our, our will. That's good news. So here is how Peter says and explains good news, the good news of Jesus, the authority of Jesus to a Roman centurion. Okay, so Peter says... I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Okay, so automatically he's saying this isn't about the king of Israel anymore. This is the king of the world. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace. <laughs> not Roman peace, right? This is the message of peace. He sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is King. He is Lord of all. Huge, powerful statement yep. to a person whose allegiance is to Rome. So now He's saying, let me tell you about allegiance to Jesus. You know what happened throughout Judea. So he's probably heard the story. Beginning in Galilee, after the baptism, John preached. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the evil because by the enemy. And so we hear the word devil, by the way, what we should read that is right here is enemy. Who's the enemy? Rome's the enemy. Healing everyone oppressed by the enemy because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did, because both in Judea and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses 
whom God chose before, beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed to judge of the, to appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers, the Jewish people who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people. And they heard them speaking in other languages and praising God. And Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? And so he directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They Then they invited Peter to stay for several days. So we have this entire family unit, soldiers and all, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the kingdom. And the way in which Peter describes Jesus here is in the languages in which we just described. Jesus, he said, is king of all. And you have here this understanding of divine rulership, of spiritual authority. You have here the 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 authority of kingship over the world and you have the Holy Spirit, God showing up and the kingdom of God becoming present with his people. And so now at the end of this story, Cornelius and all the people who are with him change their allegiance. And rather than being allegiant to Rome, they are now allegiant to Jesus. And that is good news. They, it is new life. Yep. When we find that the authority in our life is not from this world, it's not what people tell us is peace. It's not what people tell us that we need to do. The good news of Jesus is about living life in the kingdom now and looking forward for the future day when the kingdom comes in fullness. And that is good news for us. When we change our allegiance and being solely allegiant to Jesus and recognizing spiritual authority and physical authority comes from Jesus alone. So that's how Peter describes it to people. And we can take that same story and share it with others and have a conversation and begin to shift some of the language we're using so that people understand that Jesus isn't the offspring. He's not some demigod. When we say son of God, what we mean is king. When we say son of man, what we mean is not some offspring. What we mean is divine. And so Jesus is the divine king. Jesus is Yahweh. And so, um, so yeah, I hope that's helpful. Um, anything else you'd like to add to this before we open it up? I think we covered a lot today, so uh, I, I'm good. All right. Well, um, Amberly and, and Sharon, if we haven't uh, bored you to death at this point, um, I'm going to let y'all uh, see if you can unmute yourself. Is there uh, anything that you'd like to speak into this? Hey, can Amberly. you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. All right. Well, I went and stand at a plank while y'all were talking. <laughs> um, this helped me a lot. I'm going to be able to help my mom a lot with this because she's the one that asked me that question. Okay. And I wasn't really sure of how to answer it. And now I have a, a really good place to start with scripture. She actually has the version app. I didn't know. Okay. Um, so I'm going to actually have her go in and do that exercise that I just did. I did that as y'all were talking. Okay. Um, it was a good exercise. I like that. Yeah. What did, what did you find? What was your discovery? There's a lot. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of I am right? statements in John, right? Are, is it 37 or am I wrong? Um, 
let me get back with you on the exact number. I have it written in my notes. I'd have to, I'm not going to be able to pull that from my mind. Uh, otherwise, oh, I'd on. just be lying to you. But I, I do have it written down. I'll go back and check. I, I, I didn't bring that with me to this conversation. Yeah, well, I have a, a really, really good place to start, though, with her now. So this was really helpful. You found 37. Yeah, go back and really look at those. And what is, the, 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 what is Jesus declaring? Isn't that so cool? It was. Uh, my eyes hurt. I'll go back later, though. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, uh, well thank, I, I hope this has, has been helpful, and I'm sorry to kind of get into the weeds of some things, and I hope it wasn't too boring, but I hope it also no, no. Um, have a bigger scope of the Bible, because it can be kind of hard to read the Bible, and it can be a little boring because we get into the weeds, and it gets, you know, drawn out, but hopefully hopefully it gives you a different way to see some of the categories and the themes that are happening in the scripture. Yeah, I have. I'm going to go back into Samuel chapter 8 and then uh, Acts chapter 10 and, and look at those too. I haven't looked at those yet. So mm -hmm. that just gives me more to read on and the more information, the better. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's great. And continue to, to like, this is a deep well of, of questions. And so write those questions down. Um, this was a great question to ask. I can tell you that there, you are not alone in asking this question. Thanks so much for bringing it up. Uh, it's a question that many of us um, deal with, even as, as, as Christians for a long time. And so it's always good to kind of talk through this and, and get into the meat of who Jesus says he is. So thanks for asking. I'm glad it was helpful. Um, I want to give Sharon the time to, to jump in here. So um, uh, thank you, Julie. Hey. Hey. Okay, so I'll just say that I enjoyed it and look forward to maybe joining in on future discussions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, feel free to, uh, you know, go back and watch this uh, so you can see the whole thing if you want when we upload it and feel free to ask questions. And um, it, really the power of all this is not about intellect. It's not about, uh, about Matt and, and I. It really is about the questions that we have and the way in which the Spirit's speaking to each of us. So... Um, so thank you for joining in. All right. Well, um, we'll end that for today and we'll pick up this conversation at a later date. So Matt, thanks so much for being here and being yeah. a part of this, man. Thank you for sharing uh, some of your knowledge with us and allowing us to kind of get a deeper understanding. All right. So until next time, we'll see you later. Everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of EmbraceCast. Be sure to give us a five-star rating, subscribe to EmbraceCast, and share it with others. We hope this has been a helpful episode for you. If this conversation has piqued your curiosity, or if you have some questions, we'd love to hear them and connect with you. Please send them to us. You can record an audio file and send them to us at info at embraceyourparish.org. Please keep your audio file to about 20 or 30 seconds. And be sure to include your name and where you're from. Embrace is a new church in the greater Houghton area of Louisiana. Embrace is committed to creating new places for new people to experience Jesus. You can find out more at embraceyourparish.org. Remember to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on social media. Go and embrace Jesus. Embrace people. Embrace church.